Sharing a meal is one of the simplest ways to connect with others. Eating together is vital for our health. Countless research has been done to determine what happens when we sit down with someone and share food. It influences us in a positive way and increases our feelings of well-being and community. When we connect with others over food, our levels of happiness rise and these good feelings spill out into the wider community. Is it no wonder then that Jesus chose to eat with others? Even those whom society had cast out, he shared a meal with them, listened to them, accepted them for who they were, and connected with them on a critical level. What happens when we have dinner with Jesus? Good morning. Hello, my name is Stacy, and I am the student ministry pastor and one of the teaching pastors here at Cassis. And I'm very excited to get to hang out with you guys. Thanks. <laughs> it's really good to be here, especially for the second week of Dinner with Jesus. I really like this series that we're doing. And I had a realization this week as I was kind of getting prepared for the meal we're gonna talk about. Um, I've been walking through something with our high school students. We meet Sundays at 11 o'clock and Wednesday nights, and I've realized there's this certain piece of context that the high school students needed to understand some of the parts of the Bible we were talking about. And I think it's going to help us today too, as we step into this meal. And, and that piece of context is that oftentimes we talk about this group of guys called the Pharisees. We, we talk about them here at church. You read about them in the Bible, but oftentimes we don't have a lot of background on who they are and how they got to be where they are. They, they sort of get this this reputation of basically being villains. Like honestly, some of the ways that they're written about and we read about them, you like picture some guy with a mustache, like twisting it up on the ends, cackling a little bit. And there is like a reason for that. Oftentimes they're pictured, um, they are standing against Jesus. They are criticizing him. They're picking on his ministry. They're trying to find ways to undermine him a little bit. They play a role in Jesus getting arrested ultimately. And so there is a piece where it kind of makes sense, but the truth is they're not just bad guys with bad intentions doing bad things. It's much more complex than that. They actually started out as religious leaders, as people who cared a lot about God, and they cared a lot about God's people. And so they had this belief, they said, God has promised us this Messiah. He's promised us a savior. And he has said he's gonna send this savior and he's gonna bring his kingdom and he's gonna take over the world. And they were like, I bet the way for that to happen is God's people need to get more obedient to God. They had this, this care and this love of God and they said, we need to make sure that whatever our Jewish law is, we cannot break it. And so they took this law that the people knew and they said, see, that's not good enough. People keep breaking this and they keep messing it up. We're not being obedient. We're not being holy enough. And so they said, we need to essentially add our own rules and our own laws. We need to build this fence around the Jewish law that we currently know. And this fence is gonna be a new rule. And it's basically gonna keep us from even getting close to breaking the religious law and therefore be more obedient. But then they quickly realized like this fence is not enough. People just keep jumping over it and doing whatever they want. And so what they said is we need to add another fence around our fence around this law. And so by the time that we get to Jesus and Jesus's interactions with the Pharisees, they have added hundreds and hundreds of laws and regulations and obstacles and barriers and statements about who's in and who's not and why that all, they're all the way over here when Jesus sits down to have this meal with them. 
And there's so much space between them and the original thing they set out to do. The original piece they set out where they said, I have this faith in God and I have this love for God and his people and I wanna do something great with that. And I have a wonder that if we pause and we take away a little bit of that like villainous stigma for the Pharisees, I wonder if there's ever a moment that we actually really relate to them. We can actually really understand how they got where they did. Because for many of us, we stand here and we think, I have this faith in God. I think, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything, but I have this piece where I think my faith is real and I think it matters. And I actually want my belief in God, my spiritual life, this journey I'm on, I want it to matter. I want it to impact the way that I live my life, the way that, that, of who I am and how I treat people, not just on a Sunday morning, but in my day-to-day and in my real life. And we have this original really good intention and good hope, but somewhere along the line, whether it was distractions or it was something that was misguided or we just got busy, we suddenly find ourselves all the way over here and our original love and our original hope and this original relationship with God has honestly become a little forgotten. And we've actually found ourselves getting more and more consumed with living this right religious life of saying, I am so consumed with making sure that I look like I have everything in line. I'm doing all the right things with all the right people that I look like everything is just right for God. And we've actually moved so far and forgotten this original hope and love and faith that we had, much like the Pharisees did. So we're gonna step into a meal today where Jesus sits down at a table and he says, I see this good intention, but I see all of these flags, these warnings, these moments where you accidentally lost this original hope and this original relationship. And so we're gonna take a look at three of the flags that Jesus actually has in this meal. And I gotta warn you, this meal that Jesus, this tone that Jesus takes is a little um, confrontational. Like this meal is actually a little tense. He's stepping in with a little bit of correction and a little bit of instruction. And I got to tell you, that makes me uncomfortable. Like I'm not a very confrontational person. My coworkers will tell you, as soon as I need to have an important conversation with you, you see it written all over my body. Like I get a little squirmy and I don't make eye contact well. And I'm personally a person. There might be a few of you in here. I need to rehearse when I'm gonna sit down and have like an important conversation with someone, right? Like I need to be a little strategic about it. So I'm the person when I'm driving, like I'm having that conversation by myself in my head or out loud in my car because I'm just uncomfortable with it and I want it to go well. And so I do this thing that my husband just absolutely loves where when I have something that I need to like deal with, a thing we need to talk about, I save it until we're on a road trip or until we like sit down to have dinner because I've got a captive audience. He can't go anywhere. And so he knows like if we're in the car and I lean forward and I turn the volume down or we're at dinner and I sit forward and I'm like, so I've been thinking. Like every part of him just goes on red alert and he's like, I don't wanna be here and I don't wanna do this. It's like that moment someone goes, we need to talk. Like I'm full of those moments. And some of you are like me. I see you looking around and be like, yeah, I strategize. And see, use the road trip, it works. But also some of you are like my Andy and you just immediately go for the exit route. You're just like, I, this is not what I wanna do. This isn't what I wanna be about. Because these moments can feel awkward. So what I decided is we're gonna go together into this meal. We're gonna together feel a little awkward and a little confrontational as we step to this table and we sit down with this meal with Jesus that he's gonna have with the Pharisees. And that's what we're gonna do today. 
And so to get us started, we are going to be in the book of Luke in the Bible. We're gonna be in Luke and we're gonna start at chapter 11. And chapter 11, the, first, the verse is uh, 37. It's gonna set the tone of how this meal becomes something a little uh, correcting. So in verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So I wanna pause there at the setting, at the setup of the meal, because some, for some of us, like if you're anything even remotely like a germaphobe, this is an upsetting moment with Jesus. Like you're looking at this and going, well, yeah, that's gross. Like for us, we think of sitting down before a meal, like we were taught, yes, you wash your hands with, hand, like, with soap and water 20 seconds because you're about to eat a meal. And the truth is for them, washing was different than just hygiene. It wasn't just cleanliness, soap and water about germs. For the Pharisees especially, what they're dealing with is this idea of a ritual purity. Part of these laws and these regulations and these boundaries and these obstacles that they've set up is also declaring that some things are pure and some things are impure. In fact, some people are pure and some people are impure. And so what that means is the clothes that they wear, the food that they eat, the things that they touch, their animals, their kids, the places they go are all considered to be impure. And so when you go about your day, you might touch an impure person and now you're impure. You might touch something that an impure person had at some point touched and now you are impure. And so when you would go sit down at a meal, you were supposed to do this ritualistic washing to purify your hands before you could sit down and, and have this meal. And so what Jesus has been doing in Luke prior to this moment is he has this miraculous situation where he shows up in the life of a man and he frees him from demon possession and he gives him back his ability to speak. And the people around are obviously very amazed by this. And so this crowd of people begins to gather around Jesus and he's talking to them and he's teaching them and he's sitting down with them and he's engaging in life with them as they're crowding around wanting to try and know more about this Jesus. And so as the day kind of draws to an end, this Pharisee walks up to Jesus and says, I want you to come have dinner at my house. And this isn't just like, come have a potluck, let's hang out and get to know each other. Like this was a very intentional invitation because what this Pharisee does is there's this, this popular rabbi, teacher, this Jesus, and he's getting a lot of popularity. So what I'm gonna do is invite this guest of honor to my meal with my other Pharisee friends. And we're all gonna get together and we're gonna show off our education. We are going to pontificate and we are going to honor each other. And this is going to be basically like showing off our religious education and our elite status here at this meal. And so Jesus, who spent his entire day with impure people, touching them and being a part of their life, now walks into this Pharisee's home, sits down at his table, and he hasn't washed, so he's made the table impure. The food is impure. The cup is impure. And if these Pharisees sit down and eat this meal with him, the Pharisees themselves are now becoming contaminated with these impure people. And so it makes sense why he would look at Jesus and say, what are you doing? Don't you know who we are? We have these rules and these regulations, these standards that we need to live by. Sir, you better go purify your hands because of the people you have been around. And this is that moment Jesus goes, you've missed it, guys. And he's gonna throw up a few different warnings, a few different red flags, and we're gonna take a look at three of them this morning. And he actually jumps in to the first one right away. And his first warning sign to us is, 
Jesus says, do not ignore your heart and your mind. He says, you've so focused on this outside appearance, but do not forget your inside, your heart and your mind, because the condition of those matters. This is what he says. Immediately when the Pharisee makes a face about the washing, Jesus said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and you are full of wickedness. In fact, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be made clean for you. You know, I'm kind of convinced that in every marriage and maybe every roommate situation too, there is a person who does dishes by soaking them. We leave them in the sink because they need to soak because you need to soften everything. And then there is the person who actually does the dishes, who actually comes by for the dishes that have now been left in the sink and actually gets them to the dishwasher, actually cleans them and actually gets them put away. And as you can imagine in my marriage, I am the dish soaker and I'm very good at leaving it in the sink. And my Andy is very good at getting annoyed because he has to come by and he has to actually be the guy who cleans it and puts it away and actually gets it out of the sink. And so often he's like, Stace, just put it in the dishwasher. But we have one of those really fancy old dishwashers that doesn't actually clean the dish. It just like gets the food that's stuck on it really hot while it's running the dishwasher. That's all that really happens, right? Exactly. And so poor Andy, he'll go to empty the dishwasher and the dishes look clean and they look sparkling and then you pick it up and you're still scraping breakfast off of it because Stacy cleaned the dish. And the thing is, is that that's exactly the picture that Jesus is pointing here. And he goes, you know what this is to walk up to this dish, this bowl, this cup, and it looks clean. And then you look inside and it's full of filth. And you can't use that, it's gross. And he says, look at this dish in this bowl and then recognize this about, about yourself, about ourselves. We can get the outside to look so clean and so well behaved and we're following all the rules, we're doing all the right things. And he says, but you have forgotten about the inside condition of who you are. He calls the Pharisees out, he says, but you have become so full of greed and of wickedness. And I wonder, we were alone and we were really honest. For some of us, Jesus would say, but your heart has gotten so full of selfishness. You look and you're doing and you're checking your boxes, but inside you are so controlled by jealousy. Your mind is full of fear. Your heart is so busy judging and comparing yourself to others, asking if that's what makes you okay or not. Your outside might look so clean, but the inside, you've forgotten to pay attention to your heart and to your mind. And Jesus warns us, he says, don't forget about the condition of who you are. That is important and so take care of it. And I think sometimes that comes off really simple. Take care of your heart and your mind can sound really simple, but we know there's a truth in that. There's a reason that's the first flag Jesus throws up because it's not. It is actually really scary and really difficult and really time consuming and sometimes really embarrassing to pause and look inside and ask what is the actual condition of my heart? What are the thoughts that I actually have about myself and God and other people as I step out and I act today? I want the spiritual life that matters and impacts my day to day, but it can be so scary to pause and actually do the work of looking inside. You know, I had a friend 
And she was, she was so sweet and she was sitting here and she's going, Stace, I have this faith in God and I want this to impact who I am, but I'm also trying to date. And dating today does not seem to be in line very well with this faith in God. There's these apps and it's so casual and this ghosting thing and it just seems to be so far away from the actual faith in God that I want. So we're sitting down and we're having a meal and all of a sudden she said something that to me was very telling because we're talking about this and she goes, say, stop. I just want you to tell me what to do. She said, I, I get it. God loves me and he wants me to step up and he wants me to love other people, but I just want you to tell me what to do. Just tell me the steps I need to take to date, but still hold on to my faith in God and I'll just do those steps. And my, my honest self first really agreed with her and I wish that sometimes it was that easy, but the truth was she had some stuff going on inside of her. She held some lies, she held some expectations, she had some habits that really those things inside of her heart and her mind were impacting the way that she saw herself and others and therefore the way that she dated, but she didn't want to do that work. She didn't want to pause, she wanted to avoid having to do this inside work and she says, just tell me what to do, give me the steps instead because it's so much easier sometimes. And honestly, I had nothing but compassion for her. I remember when Andy and I started dating and I was like, I am killing this girlfriend thing. Like I'm fun, I know how to date, flirt, like I got this thing. And then Andy sat down and he goes, Stace, I need you to try and be vulnerable with me. I don't feel like I actually know you well at all. And you guys, it was mind blowing. I had no idea what that even meant. I had to sit with one of my friends and be like, what is this vulnerable thing he's talking about? And I had to pause and actually ask myself, sit back and look inside of my heart and my mind and say, what does it look like to actually let myself be known, the good and the bad, the weaknesses and the strengths by this person so that they could actually see who I am. And it took a lot of work on the actual inside of who I am before I could have that connection. And I know sometimes this step is so difficult, but Jesus throws this up as the first warning. Don't become so consumed by your outside behaviors. You've forgotten about the condition of your heart. So, so many of us, when you're parents, I get it, you're sitting there and you're like, just tell me what to do. I just wanna do this right, this little life, and I just tell me what to do. As they get older and they become grownups and I see them making decisions I'm not thrilled with, just tell me what to do with this over here. We walk into our jobs and we think, just tell me what to do. Just tell me how to manage these finances, this thing called marriage, church, God, Bible. Just tell me the step that you need me to take. And Jesus is warning, he says, don't become so consumed with this outside right religious behavior or rule that you think other people need to see from you or you think God needs to see from you that you ignore your inside condition the inside condition of your heart and your mind because it matters. So for some of us, that might mean find someone you trust, find someone who knows you really well and be willing to sit down and ask them some tough questions and be open to hearing some tough responses. Do you see any habits in my life that you think might cause a problem down the road? Do you see any moments that I am putting myself before taking care of other people? Do you see anything in my life that's looking like this rules and this regulations that I'm actually moving away from the part of my original love and faith of who God made me to be and how he made other people? And ask some tough questions to pay attention and wrestle with the condition of who we are inside. 
And the second warning, the second red flag that Jesus throws up at this meal and he throws up for us is he, it's basically, it says, don't become so, uh, um, sorry, that was the first one. Don't become so obsessed with your heart and your mind that you miss, um, that you are missing the inside of you. In fact, his second warning is, he says, don't stop seeing the person who is sitting across from you which sounds a little odd, but sometimes he's saying, don't become so consumed with whether or not you've got it right, whether or not you're doing all the right things that you actually stop seeing the human being who's sitting across from you, maybe in your house, maybe at your job, maybe in your life. Seeing this person and recognizing if I'm made in God's image, I am loved by God, so is this person. In fact, this is how he puts it. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, which was like another type of herb, and all other kinds of garden herbs, and yet you neglect justice and the love of God, and you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. When he talks about this justice, he says, I want you to care for other people. You've experienced this great love of God that actually started you on your faith journey. Don't lose that and don't stop showing that to other people. Some people in our lives, they're going through something challenging and difficult and they're feeling isolated and Jesus says, see them for the person that they are and step in and love them exactly where they are because that's what they most need. That is how they will most see God's love in that moment. In fact, What he does is he uses this image of actually a very um, spiritual practice, which was this idea of giving. Some people know it as as offering or as tithing. And, And many churches talk about it. We actually set aside a time each Sunday morning to be able to say thank you so much to those who give here at Casas and allow us to do ministry. And the, the, the hope that we have about this is that when you as a person walk in here, maybe even for the first time, and you see what this church is about and you experience the people and our different ministries that we have here on campus and you go, I want that. This mission, this thing that they're about, I wanna be a part of that too. I want that in my life and I want that for my family and I want that for my community. And we, we love that. We hope that that is the experience that you have And what we hope is the next step or the next commitment is you go, now I wanna be a part of moving that mission forward. That might mean I wanna show up with my time and my talents and my energy. I wanna volunteer. I wanna be kind to the people who sit next to me at church and I wanna make sure that they experience this idea of acceptance and love that matters so much here. But we also think there's a step of saying, I wanna give my financial resources to this church to be a part of them moving this mission forward that I wanna plant my, my resources here and I wanna trust what God is gonna do with it and how God is gonna grow that. And I think that's important, but I also care about this because honestly, I've seen that moment happen so poorly before, like almost in an inappropriate, awkward way. My husband, Andy, actually served in the military for about five years, and we had an opportunity to be stationed overseas in Germany, and it was awesome. It was really, really fun. But Being overseas obviously meant we needed to try and find a different church. We wanted to find a different church community to be a part of while we were there. And so we found a few places, but we actually found one we really liked. And we had been going for a couple weeks and we were starting to think like this was gonna be it. This was where we were gonna volunteer and be a part of. And then there was this Sunday. 
And this Sunday, um, worship had happened. And before the pastor came up to do the sermon, the worship pastor decided to lead this church, and it was smaller, it was like maybe 100 people, into this uh, conversation about giving, tithing, offering. And he started out by sharing how much he and his wife gave each week in tithing to the church. A number, it was a little awkward in front of all of the people. And then he proceeds to explain to everybody in the room why he and his wife are the most generous and giving people that they know. And I was like, that's terrific. And then he explains to us very calmly why this means that we, as the people coming to this church, need to give more. He says, you need to give until you are uncomfortable, just like my wife and I. You can't give as much as we have, but I need you to try harder with this. So he says, when we pass the plates, I want you to feel challenged about the number that you put in there. And I want you to watch how much the person next to you puts in the plate. Oh, you don't wanna try this? This isn't the practice for next week? I want you to watch how much they put in the plate and I want you to challenge them if that's really enough for them. Mm, yeah, so turns out you guys are as good at this as I am. So. And the whole time, guys, I am like raging inside for obvious reasons, but I am keeping it cool, I'm restrained, I'm subtle. And so Andy and I, we go to walk to the car afterwards and I go, Andrew, you're not gonna believe this because I was so calm about this, but I was so angry when he was doing, doing that tithing thing. And my husband laughed in my face. He goes, Stacy, that whole church knows you weren't okay with that moment. He told me, guys, I honestly had no idea. He told me I was snorting and like huffing. And he told me I kept throwing my hands out. He said I did this thing where I like sat forward and I was looking at everybody else being like, do you hear this guy? I had no idea. He goes, no one at that church is going to wonder why we don't come back. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to, but like, whoops. But I had such an issue with what that guy did. And it wasn't an issue with giving and tithing and offering, I believe in that. It was the idea that he took this important step of faith and he said, do it so that you can judge others. Do this step in faith and trust of God so that you can hold it over somebody else and you can compare it to somebody else's faith journey to establish whether or not you're okay. Frankly, whether or not you're a little bit better than them. And I had a problem with that. And I think that Jesus has a bit of a problem with that too. He says, don't become so consumed by these outside religious acts that you actually forget about the human being sitting next to you and sitting in front of you. And honestly, sometimes we can do this with things that aren't just our finances. I have a really good friend and she has this piece of uh, parenting advice that I'm just, I'm holding on to because I need it. But she says, don't ever let your kids become your report card. And what she's trying to say is, don't let what your kids do, the grades they get, how they do at school, don't let what they don't do ever become the reflection on whether or not you are a good person. Don't ever judge them because of how they make you look as a parent. And she said, because honestly, if you are so consumed with the report card, you're gonna miss the actual person that God has gifted you with. You're gonna miss this complex, sometimes messy kid that's actually sitting in front of you with, that you have an opportunity to show justice by stepping into exactly who they are and showing them love exactly as they are. 
Sometimes at work, we can get so consumed by saying, but I need to do the right things and I need to look the right way that we will throw a coworker under the bus or even compromise our integrity and we start missing the actual person in front of us. Sometimes we need our marriage to look absolutely perfect. And so we start missing the actual person we're married to and we miss the hurt or the loneliness sitting in their eyes and they need us to sit down and engage in tough conversations and sometimes we're so distracted making sure we look like we've got absolutely everything all together. Sometimes we sit across from our family and we think, look, I've got mine together. I'm doing all the right things. I've got all the right looks and we almost hold it like it's a judgment over them. Like sometimes they're not, they're not living up to our expectations and we get to hold that against them and we get to show this, this cold shoulder to them because we've forgotten they are also a human being made in God's image that God said, I love you so much, but I love them too. And I want you to show up in their story and I want you to show them the same love that I showed you in your story that actually started you on this faith journey to begin with. So Jesus warns us, don't get so consumed with this that you forget to see the actual person sitting in front of you. And then the third warning that Jesus has for us is it is be careful not to make your religion so heavy that others cannot carry it. Don't allow this obsession this importance of making sure I'm doing all the right things and I look exactly right and everybody knows it and see this, sees this very religious person and therefore I'm gonna put this expectation, I'm gonna put this judgment on somebody else to the point that it might cause them spiritual harm. This is how he puts it. Jesus says in verse 44, woe to you. I wanna pause actually because that woe word, we might almost imagine Jesus sitting down and like wagging his finger a little bit and being like, I need you to do better. But that's not what this is. This actually carries a note of compassion, almost a note of grief. Like Jesus sat down across each and every one of us and said, I know this matters. I know you are just doing your best. But what I see is I see these problems showing up. I see some of these red flags. I see some of these dangerous moments showing up along your journey. And I wanna try to warn you now so that maybe you don't step into it. That maybe you can change course a little bit and, and get back to that original love and that original relationship. So hear the kindness and the compassion. He sees us. He says, woe to you because you are like an unmarked grave that people walk over without even knowing it. And we might miss this, but this was so insulting. Remember those rules and those regulations, the fences that the Pharisees had? One of their biggest things was about never that impurity piece. One of the most impure things was a tomb, was death, was decay. And so for Jesus to say you're like an unmarked grave means you and this pressure and these burdens that you're putting on people is actually pushing them farther away from God and making them the very impure thing that you are so terrified of. And then I love this next part because someone sits forward and, and sometimes the Bible calls them a lawyer, but they're not a lawyer like we think of them. They are an expert in the law is what that meant. They're actually like a Pharisee, one of the, one of the people at this meal. And he sits forward and he says, teacher, Jesus, you know, when you say these things, you're insulting us also. And I'm like, man, do I get that guy? Because can you imagine sitting across from Jesus? There's a part where you want to, you just, you feel pinned to your seat a little bit and you're going, I don't want to be this 
guide? Jesus, tell me that I'm not this. Tell me I didn't do this. And there's a part where Jesus just sees our humanity and he goes, yeah, the best of intentions can still lead us down a road where we can even hand a burden to someone that they can't carry and actually causes harm. And so again, Jesus has this opportunity to show compassion and go, yeah, even for you. And so Jesus replied, you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. And then you yourself would not lift one finger to be able to help them. You know, here's how this kind of played out for them. We talked about fences and rules and regulations and barriers that the Pharisees put up. So here's an example. One of the, the, the Jewish laws that mattered a lot was this idea of the Sabbath. And, and so when God gave the Sabbath to the people, he said, I, I made you to need a break. I made you to need a rest and to take a breath. I made you so that you needed to pause and reconnect with your people, reconnect with God and your relationship with God. So he gifted us this idea of the Sabbath. For the Jewish people, it's from a dinner on Friday until a dinner on Saturday. And for many of us, we know the Sabbath to typically be Sunday. And it was made as a gift for us. And the Pharisees saw that and go, people are gonna break that for sure. So what we need to do is we need to put up a fence that establishes to them what work is. Because if you work, you break the Sabbath. So the first fence that they gave us is they're like, so the first thing you gotta do is you cannot cook. You cannot make bread on the Sabbath. And so some of the first rules that they put up is they said, you cannot sow and work the field. You cannot knead and you cannot bake. And people are like, all right. So they go, okay, so that's not enough. And so they needed to add, or add more and more fences until eventually they had 39 different types of things that they said, this is what work is on the Sabbath and you cannot break it or else you will break the Sabbath. Here are all your rules. And they included things like writing. They included things like you could not make or extinguish a fire. And they got it so that that even included a candle. So if you were a Jewish person on the Sabbath, you actually had to hire a non-Jewish person to come to your house to light your candles and then to come back and to put them out and snuff out your candles because it's the Sabbath and you can't work. But that still wasn't enough. So then we added more laws such as you weren't allowed to look in a mirror because if you looked in that mirror, you might be tempted to fix your appearance and therefore you're working on the Sabbath. They, they declared how far you were allowed to walk and move before it became work on the Sabbath. So you were only to move so far with, from your home on the Sabbath day. And it got to the point where they said, on the Sabbath, you cannot spit and you have to be careful about how you talk because what if a little bit of spit falls out of your mouth and it hits the dirt and it rolls? Then you made mud and that means you worked and it also kind of means that you plowed, you plowed that day and that is work and that is not allowed on the Sabbath. It sounds ridiculous to us, but can you imagine? There is a day made for rest and connection and relationship. It's a gift to us. And the Pharisees have added so many rules and expectations and judgments and barriers and obstacles that it's become the most exhausting day of the week because we have 39 different things at least that we need to be terrified of breaking or else we've broken this day. And it can become a financial burden because now I need to pay somebody to come and light the candle and put the candle out because I can't work on the Sabbath because heaven forbid I should break this thing. And so these Pharisees and these lawyers have actually created a religion that started as a focus on God, but has now become this burden that people can't carry. And you see it pushing people actually farther away from God. 
I had an opportunity to work in a hospital for many years while I was in college, and I loved it. I got to be um, a tech, so I was basically kind of like a nurse assistant. And, and the type of job that I had, I had the opportunity to move through the hospital a lot. So I got to go work in the ER for quite a bit. And there was this particular nurse in the ER I got to work with. And, ooh, I loved her, but she was sassy. Like you were never 100% sure of what she was gonna say, and she could make you blush in a moment. Like she, was, she had an edge to her, right? But I loved her, she was great. And there was this one day where she pulled me aside in the ER and she goes, so Stace, I've heard you're a Christian. Oh, this is gonna go so many good places. She goes, I heard that you're a Christian. I said, yes. And she goes, in fact, I heard you're like, her words, really Christian. Because at the time I was an interning here. And so she's like, so you like really do the thing. You really go to church. And I just knew, I was like, this is gonna go somewhere so rough. So I was like, yes, I sure do. And she says, so then how come you're so nice to me? Oh, and she tells me, she's got this other nurse who works in the ER with her. And this nurse is a Christian. And she said that this nurse was ruthless to her. That she told her all the time that she was sinful and that she was going to hell. If she swore, she would call her out immediately and say, you're filthy and you're sinful. And God, she told her God didn't love her because she lived with her boyfriend. She had all of these hateful things that she's carrying around her. And then she says, but you say, you're a Christian, you say you believe in God. Shouldn't you hate me? Shouldn't you think I am a bad person and I'm going to hell? And shouldn't you treat me like I'm filthy, like she does? And I'm honest, my first thing was to be so mad at that woman. I wanted to be so mad at her because I was like, you had this original love for God and you've turned it into something that you're putting your judgments and your expectations on this woman and she's moving farther and farther away from God. That we are causing spiritual harm to this woman by putting our judgments and our expectations upon her and not showing her any of God's love to be able to carry anything through this life. And I just wonder how many of you have ever felt somebody else's religious weight placed on you? Somebody else's religious expectations and burdens put on you. And I wonder how often that ultimately made you wanna actually take a step away from faith or God or church. Because if that's what it feels like, that is exhausting. Or moments where something happened in life, like a crisis, and you had people who showed up in your life and said, you know, I bet you need to pray a lot more. I bet this is because you need to have more faith. And it doesn't feel like comfort, it kind of feels like rejection. And you're like, if that's what it's gonna take to live up to this making a difference in my life, I'm not sure that I'm up to that. So Jesus has this warning, he says, don't allow this, this focus on our outside religious appearance move us so far from the love of God that we are actually placing our judgments and our expectations on people until it causes a spiritual harm, until it actually makes them want to know less about God and less about faith and less about the church. So Jesus' three big warnings for the Pharisees and for us, he says, don't forget about the condition of your heart and your mind. It matters and it is important. And as you go along this spiritual journey, as you step into this faith with God, he says, do not forget about the actual human being sitting across from you. That God showed up in your story with great love. And he says, make sure you remember that they are incredibly loved too. 
And then he says, don't allow this journey of faith as you ask questions and you wrestle this through, don't allow this to become a religion that is so heavy that you are placing it on someone else who cannot carry it. Now, I just wonder if we as a group of people got together and we sat at that table with Jesus and we actually heard those red flags and we took those warnings and we said, okay, I'm gonna pay attention to that. I'm gonna remember that God loved me first. He loved me before I changed anything. He loved me exactly as I was. He showed up in my story with that mercy and that justice and that greatness and he showed up and loved me exactly as I am. And then he says, he wants me to go show that same kind of love to somebody else. What a movement this group of people could be on that spiritual journey as we helped each other say, God loves us, but he wants us to step out and love others too. So if you guys would go ahead and join me in praying for this morning. And just so I remember, we do have a prayer place right over here. If you're in here and you're saying, I'd love for somebody to be praying for me, to be praying with me, we have some volunteers over there waiting. Go ahead, go over and get prayed for. And also, there's gonna be uh, myself and a few other volunteers on this side just to kind of say hi, especially if this is your first time to cast us, just sort of shake hands and say hello. Um, So just know that we'll be over there. But thank you very much for joining us. But if you would please join me in prayer for the morning. Father God, thank you so much for how well you love us. In fact, God, thank you for the the fact that you love us, whether we are messing up or we're, we're following you to the best of our ability, God. And I just pray for opportunities this week that you would open our eyes to see people the way that you see people, to see ourselves the way that you see us and give us the bravery to step out and love the way that you have loved us. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, have a good Sunday, guys.